You're listening to audio from Redemption Church of Houston. We are a people who believe that Jesus has invited everyone into his radically inclusive, world-altering way of love. That means that when we gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or in homes throughout the week, you are welcome here. Regardless of your social status, gender, race, sexual orientation, or politics, we want you to fully and actually join, grow, worship, and serve with us. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus invites you into his radical love just the way you are. And so do we. this morning. Happy uh, spring in Houston. March 1st rolled around and someone flipped a switch and our two days of winter have ended. And summer begins next week, so get ready. A couple of announcements, really just one announcement. Um, So masks, we're still having conversations. We had a conversation this week about it. Uh, We want to be slow. We want to be intentional. We want to make sure that um, we're doing the safe thing the reasonable thing, um, but also the thing that feels the most loving to each and every one of us here. And so if that means that we need to continue uh, wearing some masks for a little bit longer because it helps those around us feel more comfortable, feel safe to come and worship in our presence, then heck yeah, let's do it. That's easy. Um, If it's not a problem, then we'll take them off. So look for more next week. We'll talk some more and we'll feel some things out some more. Um, we don't want to go back and forth on you and take masks off and then the next week put them back on and the next week take them back off again. So here we are. And uh, what a place it is to be here in 2022 uh, with the world seemingly uh, tearing itself apart. Right? We can talk about the, the fact that we're all on the brink Uh, the precipice, it seems, of uh, potential world war, um, potential nuclear disaster, potential reliving of horrors that many of us have only read about in textbooks. Or we could talk about the pandemic that we're hopefully, fingers crossed, optimistically, prayerfully coming out of. But the toll that the two years has taken on our health, on the health of the many that uh, many of us have lost on the long-term health of so many that are dealing with the chronic repercussions of COVID, the mental health, the isolation, the weight, and the burden of a world that's tearing itself apart. Or we could talk about our own lives and the weeks that we've had and the days that we've had and the ways that those who are closest to us have seemingly stabbed us in the back or left us in our time of need or abandoned us when we needed to be loved and seen the most, right? We can go on and on and on. It feels like we are in a place, and if we're really honest, I want us to bravely ask a question this morning. Can we really trust Jesus? Like, really? 
I, I know we know the right answer to that. Like, of course we can. Brandon, it's great. Of course, trust in Jesus. It'll be great. But do we? Or maybe even a better question is, what happens when we don't? What happens when the, the very real fear and anxiety of all the junk that's happening in our world and in our hearts begins to overwhelm us and, and we lose sight of Jesus and we begin to focus on those things that feel a lot more near and a lot more powerful than he is and we, for that moment maybe, we doubt. Or maybe in an even bigger sense, we, we walk away altogether. What happens then? What does Jesus do with us? If you've uh, been around the church for any length of time, if you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time, I hope that you know that this is true. If it's not, I want you to know that it's true. There are gonna be times when it looks like darkness has won. There's no promise that this is not the case. That following Jesus is a difficult road precisely because of this. We don't get to take dead things and paint roses on them and pretend like they're not dead. Jesus invites us into a place and a space where we call out evil as evil, where we look at darkness as darkness and we stare it in the face and say, you do not get to have the final word. And that's scary and that's hard but it's what Jesus has called us to. And there are going to be times when it seems like darkness has won, and there's going to be times when it feels like God has let you down. But know this. Jesus has willingly delivered himself over to powerlessness. In the face of that same darkness and power and sin and death by which you and I are so dominated. Jesus gives himself to powerlessness, confronts this darkness that dominates us, and the whole point of it is so that he can overcome it. There is good news in this, perhaps the greatest news in this. And and isn't this exactly what Mark has been telling his disciples for almost 14 chapters? I'm going to suffer and die. I'm going to suffer and die. I'm going to suffer many things at the hands of the the people around me. In fact, in the previous verse of the scriptures that we read this morning, Jesus says, the betrayer has come. It's time for me to be handed over into the hands of men. He tells us, It's going to get dark. It's going to get real, real dark. It's going to look like I haven't won. It's going to look like I've let you down. It's going to look like I'm gone. This is what he's been saying for 14 chapters. And so I want us today to hear these things. And I want us, as we read, I want us to hear as disciples of Jesus. I want us to put ourselves in the the place of the disciples of Jesus. I think for a lot of us, Um, maybe this is me just betraying my own, uh, maybe arrogance, but I think when we read, uh, Mark, especially, we look at the disciples and we're like, how, what are they thinking? What are they doing? No human being on earth would ever act that way. And yet I think Mark is very intentional in showing us, no, 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 that's, this is exactly who we are. We are the disciples. And in many cases, we are Judas, This is Mark's point. 
So let's sit in their seat and let's see what they see. Let's experience what they, they experience because I, I think there's something very helpful in there for us. And so in verse 42, things are looking pretty bleak. Jesus says, up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. This is how we ended last week. And we pick it, up, pick it up in verse 43. There's no pause. There's no breath. There's no sacred space. As Jesus is saying this, immediately, even as Jesus says this, Judas, one of the 12, one of the close companions, one of the friends, one of the compatriots, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You'll know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Then you can take him away under guard. Isn't that ironic that Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss, a symbol of peace, a symbol of greeting, a symbol of of real intimacy? Um, I dare you to kiss someone you don't know. Don't do that. <laughs> you can do that when you go to the rodeo. Don't do it here. <laughs> oh. Right, they're like getting in another human being's face and entering their space and putting your face next to their face is an inherently intimate thing. There is trust there. There is intimacy there. There is a one person's knowledge of another person's there. And this is how Judas chooses to betray Jesus. The sign of peace, a greeting, intimacy, trust. Verse 45, and as soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus. Rabbi, he exclaimed, and he gave him a kiss. Then the others grabbed Jesus, and they arrested him. And we put ourselves in the place of the disciples. Right, it's likely well past midnight, very deep into the, uh, the dark night, or the very, very, very early morning. You've just been, uh, I don't know, sort of chided for falling asleep on the job. Previous to that, you were just warned you're about to to walk away from Jesus. You're about to, to turn tail and run. And here you are in the garden in this bewildering scene as the one that you think is at least the Messiah, at least the conquering king you've been expected, and perhaps even God himself. And he gets taken by men and shackled and begins to be drug away. Like This is not our script, if we're being really honest. When we ask for God to show up and intervene, we don't want this. And in this moment, let's not get it twisted. Darkness wins. In this moment, the threat of violence wins. The corrupt, exploitative, abusive, oppressive religious system wins. And God, in this moment, is in fact overcome. What do we do with that? It's discouraging. It's despairing it feels so hopeless and yet most of us know the end of the story 
but I don't want us to rush to the end of the story. I want us to sit in the midnight of the garden. I want us to sit in the powerlessness of Jesus in this moment because I think there's something about this scene that is exactly where you and I find ourselves today in a world where it seems like darkness wins, in a world that seems to be overcome with violence. That if, if you want to make your way in the world, the only way to get there is with a gun. For many of us, it feels, definitely feels like a world where exploitative, abusive, and oppressive religious systems win. And if we're really honest with ourselves, and all of our hoping of trusting Jesus, and all of our desire to trust in Jesus, and all of our like just wishing things were different and our faith could be stronger, if we're really honest with ourselves, it feels very much like God has been overcome. Where are you? Where are you? As a pastor, I don't know what your perception of being a pastor is like. Um, it can be really dark. And I, and I don't think it's dark because it's a particularly dark job. I think it's dark because people have a tendency to, to be vulnerable and be real. And so I think being a pastor, uh, not the only thing, right? But I think among other careers, being a pastor lends itself to seeing reality for what it is. The fake smiles disappear and the suicidal thoughts are spoken out loud. The, the uh, fractured relationships that seem beyond repair are actually uttered. And we hear these things and see these things over and over and over and over and over again. And it feels like the world is so broken. But I think many of you have probably experienced this to be true as well. I know I have. So a story that many of you know, um, my wife and I struggled with infertility for eight years. It's almost a decade. And we are blessed and incredibly thankful to have a little one outside right now running around terrorizing the parking lot, I'm sure. She's beautiful. We named her Zoe precisely because she reminds us that life is a gift. And we do not take her for granted. And so uh, there are many of you struggling with many of the same things. And I, I don't want you to hear me saying that, ah, it's going to be okay. God's going to work it out. Just, just hang in there and you'll have a kid. That's not how this world works. And so for eight years, we struggled with infertility. We struggled with um, just the financial toll, the emotional toll, the physical toll that it had, especially on my wife, Gabby. But I think above all, we struggled with, God, where are you? And, and something in me was, was revealed and stripped away that needed to be revealed and stripped away, and it was this. I have dedicated my life to serving you, God. Early on in my life, I decided I'm going to make less money and probably be less prestigious, even though I've got a room of 70 beautiful people looking at me right now. <laughs> a little levity, a little levity. Um, Right, I decided I was going to do these things because it was worth doing. That, that spending my life serving Jesus was worth doing. And in this process, you can't even give me a kid? I'm doing all the right things, and you're just going to let me fall through the cracks like this? God, where are you? 
And I'll be real honest with you, I got really angry with God. And I remember specifically on my face in tears saying this to God, it would be better for me if you didn't even exist. That's easier for me to swallow than the fact that you do and you're letting us go through this. How could you? And in that moment, a moment that many of us have had in various ways, and if you haven't, you will. That's kind of the point of this. Unexpectedly, Jesus met me and reminded me, I'm here, I'm with you in the darkness, I'm with you in the pain, I'm even with you in the doubt. I'm going to carry you through this. And that's not a promise. Hey, I'm going to make this all better and you're going to have a kid. It's a promise that even when you don't, even if you continue to struggle, even if the darkness remains, I am worth following. I am everything you really need. Hold on to me. I promise I'm here. I'm good. I'm life-giving. Hold on to me. But what do we do when God doesn't change our world? What do we do when, as we talked about last week, we cry out to God and circumstances don't change, the people around us don't change, when we don't change, our bodies don't change? God, you promised you're a healer. You promised you're a resurrector. Why am I still feeling so dead? What do we do? Don't be like the disciples. <laughs> Let's look at what they did. Verse 47. One of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. We learn in Matthew and Luke that this is uh, Peter. Verse 48. Jesus asked them, am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there among you teaching every day, but these things are happening to fulfill what the scriptures say about me. And so, right, we see the disciples in this moment, or at least Peter in this moment, meeting violence with violence, meeting darkness with darkness, attempting to take things into his own hands and fix the situation. I've got this, God. He whips out his sword and chops a dude's ear off. But Jesus reminds us here and in the other instances of this story in the other Gospels, uh, violence met with violence does not overcome violence. It perpetuates it. Darkness met with darkness does not overcome darkness. It perpetuates it. And I think perhaps in moments like these, we, like Peter, ask ourselves, but if I don't resort to violence, then what? If I don't resort to darkness, then what? Darkness seems so powerful right now. Violence seems so powerful right now. It feels so potent. It feels like my way out. What am I supposed to do? Just sit here? So we can fall into the trap believing that the powers around us that seem to have so much to offer have all the answers. We can start to think that our problems will really be solved 
and our lives will really actually be changed and we can go on living in the promised land if we just had a little bit more money, if I just had a little bit more power and influence, if I could just coerce this person to do what I want or to manipulate this situation to get where I want, if I could just dabble in the darkness a little bit and use it for good, then I will have a life worth living. But this is the whole point. Jesus doesn't overcome violence with violence. He doesn't overcome darkness with darkness. He overcomes violence and darkness with love. Specifically, he overcomes violence and darkness with self-giving love. It's not love from a distance. Right, so if you are in a place that I was, if you are very much feeling the darkness and the weight and the heaviness and the oppression of a world that is tearing itself apart, hear this. Jesus has not just from a distance said, whoo, yeah, that stinks. Don't worry, I'll do something about it one day. Jesus has entered into that darkness with you. He has taken that darkness on himself in ways that you and I will never experience. He has experienced a darkness so deep and so black that you and I couldn't even fathom. And it's in that moment that his closest friends abandoned him, piling on top of the darkness. Jesus overcomes the darkness through his giving of himself over to the darkness. He enters into it willingly because of love. He enters into it in a way that it overpowers him. And it's not because he has lost power. It's not because he couldn't have done something different. It's not because he's like, well, I don't know what else I can do. I guess I'll just let myself be arrested. He is choosing to enter the darkness for the sake of us because of love. Love for us and love for the Father. And this is exactly for 14 chapters what he's been telling his disciples. This is who I am and this is what I'm gonna do. This is who I am and this is what I'm gonna do. I'm a self-giving God, a God of love, a God who refuses to fight darkness with darkness and instead is gonna enter into this darkness with you. And by doing that, I will overcome it. This is how we are freed. Jesus willingly gives himself over to the darkness so that we can be freed from the darkness. And so we see in verse 50, uh, I'm gonna be real with y'all. So if I'm a disciple, I'm not Peter. I'm, not, I'm a flighter, I'm not a fighter, okay? So I'm running. I'm probably this cat at the end that got the clothes ripped off of him running through the woods naked. Verse 50, then all his disciples deserted him and ran away. And I'm fast, y'all, so it's just like, you, the, way you, the way you eat to escape, escape a bear, right? It, you outrun the other guy, that's me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> then all of his disciples deserted him and ran away. Like, like all jokes aside, this is, this is me. This is where I find myself in this story. Out of frustration, out of disappointment, out of some, uh, probably some father issues and some insecurity, I throw up my hands and I, I walk away. You weren't worth it. This is, this is a waste of my time. I can't let you hurt me anymore by disappointing me, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave. I'm out. 
And one young man following behind was clothed only in a long linen shirt. When the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and ran away naked. Um, such a weird thing for Mark to throw in there. So there's some like re- weird conversation about like, wait, uh, why are you telling us this, Mark? Like, thanks for the info, but huh? Um, so for that reason, and he's the only one that records this particular scene, for that reason, uh, people are like, it's because it was him. And I think there's something to be said about that. One, because that would just make sense. But two, what Mark is trying to do is to put us in the seat of the disciples. He's, he's trying to confront us. He's trying to get us to decide, hey, are, are, you, are you really going to trust Jesus the way that we believe you should? Are you really going to give yourself over to Jesus the way that will, will help you find life and freedom and all the things that Jesus promises here? And so by doing that, he's saying, look, I'm not trying to call you out because I'm better than you. I'm trying to call you out because I'm telling you I've been there. I've tasted both sides. You should come to this side. It is far and exceedingly better than anything you've experienced on that other side. This is where we point out the fact that all of these disciples who are abandoning Jesus become these like stalwarts of the faith willing to lay down their lives just for the message of the good news of Jesus. Just to be able to proclaim him among the people. What happened in their lives that was so transformative? I think they started to cling to Jesus I think it's important for us to remember that what Jesus is doing in this scene, what Mark is doing by telling us this scene, is he's not, hey, you need to believe harder. You need to trust better. You need to get your act together. I think his point is this. Even in your worst, Jesus is trusting for you. Even in the darkest moments, Jesus is clinging to God on your behalf. Even when it feels like you can't take anymore and you've had enough and you walk away, Jesus stays put, faithful to the Father, to his final breath for us. So what do we do when we find ourselves in a world of chaos and violence and confusion and betrayal and religious corruption? What do we do when we find ourselves at midnight in the garden? I think the answer is really simple. Like we're going to be tempted to run away, to distract ourselves, to flee, to leave Jesus. He didn't do anything for us anyways. We might be tempted to try and take over, to seize power. Uh, We've got to colonize the whole world with our version of Christianity. Or at least this corner of Houston But no, I think what Jesus invites us into is the type of faithfulness that he exhibits here. It's obedience to the Father with relentless trust and the fact that God is going to do exactly what God said he was going to do. And when it seems contrary to that, when it seems like everything else is saying, no, 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 you were wrong about this one. Jesus says, no, I wasn't. Here I am. And he gives himself over to the darkness because he knows that on the other side of the darkness is resurrection. On the other side of the darkness is life. On the other side of the darkness is real, authentic light. And so we stay in the garden with Jesus and we pray 
and we entrust ourselves to the one who entrusted himself to the darkness. We entrust ourselves to the one who overwhelms by being overwhelmed. We entrust ourselves to the one who has all the power, even though he seems in this moment powerless. So can we trust Jesus emphatically with a hundred exclamation points and a hundred emoji at the end? Yes, absolutely trust in Jesus. It will not be trust wasted. He willingly delivers himself to powerlessness in the face of the power by which you and I are oppressed and dominated. The darkness does not win. The violence does not win. The corruption does not win. The injustice does not win. Sin does not win. Death does not win. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. And it is our heart's hope and we cling to it with everything that we can muster in that moment because it's all that we have. Will you keep watch with me? Will you wait faithfully and patiently with me? In those moments when it feels like you just can't any longer, will you know that Jesus is carrying you home anyways? Jesus wins. Let's pray. Lord, it's really, really hard sometimes. Can we confess that to you? Can we cling to the fact that you've experienced so much of that yourself, like in a real, actual, tangible way? Thank you for loving us. Thank you for entering the darkness with us so that you can rid us of this darkness once and for all. Let us hope in you. Let us cling to you with everything you have, everything we have. Forgive us for those times when we don't. We trust that you're carrying us anyways. Jesus, be near us. Be kind to us. Be our Lord. Be our life. Be our light. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor, or visit us on a Sunday, then go to redemptionhou.com. And please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted just the way you are. We hope to hear from you soon.